someone else has already said it best. This is the best and best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Someone on the phone to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Mr. Connor Keys, for saving me as always, Mr. Ronald Mullen. But <coughs> hey, what, what's the noises they make on their M scene? Oh yeah, brat brat and all that cry. Brat Oh, we've already done our UK hip hop DJ bits in earlier episodes. Uh, or later episodes. Where are we? Who knows? Lucky for you it's not a video podcast because you are in your nineties uh <laughs> shell suit <Yeah>. and <laughs> glow sticks and headband and it uh, wrecked. <laughs> Knees cut out of it. Yes, we're here with the prodigy and uh music for the jilted generation. We are. Um an absolute banger. A banger. A banger that literally uh Literally is a banger. It literally is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> fucking banging, son. We um, we we have I have a long, varied history with this album, but we'll 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 try to get through some tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Do the smash in nicely, but uh, yeah, we. I mean, I' gonna declare right away. I am not an electronic fan. Mm. I wasn't. I should say of any kind. Yeah. Just to fucking hit it. Yeah, uh, that, that's sort of where I'm coming from too. To be honest with you. Um, I think we talked about this before, but it used to be Ravers versus Grungers was the thing for our yeah specific generation. But yeah, so the dance uh, music fans were separate to the guitar fans, and that was that was sort of where, where I was coming from, Pr- pretty much identical to what you're uh, describing. Because my problem with it was, like we mentioned, uh, I think we're, we were talking about raising Against the machine, mm-hmm. and we were on about how many people had like intelligence jackets and. They were swapping Tizer versus Ben Man tapes. That's right. And that's all I thought that rave and techno and that sort of culture was. Yeah, same as that. that that's and that, all was, we've that, seen, was, yeah. that was my ignorance. It wasn't... It was It was our ignorance and it was also um, where we lived. Yeah. It just happened to be that our area was more surrounded around that sort of really intense mm-hmm. techno, if you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, and there was a lot of it. A lot of it. Huh? And yeah. it was... Every time I thought I had a grip on it, there'd be boys in my bus would be like, have you heard the new scooter? And I'd be like, what the fuck is a scooter? What's going on now? What, is this another? <laughs> but there was loads of them, and I wasn't sure which was like a group of bands and yeah. which was a, a solo band. And I, I was like, what the fuck? Because I was just coming at it from a rock and roll perspective. Yes. Four boys in the band. You play live, you record albums, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So we have, I mean, uh, we should talk about that then. So the members of the band. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, uh, First, you probably have to start with Liam Howlett. Yeah. Um, Liam Howlett is pretty much the prodigy, and it's audio essence. It isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, he does all the All of it. Basically all the music and all of it, yeah. All of it. Uh, produces everything, mixes everything. He has a few people that he trusts in the studio to help him out with things, but um, 
now this is their second album Mm -hmm. so the first album was pretty much all uh like a rave techno they they started started that sort of soundscape of breakbeat and big beat which is very hip-hop influenced and uh but obviously there's a lot of european influences in there as well but liam howlett does all the writing all the sampling everything is him um and that's why live it's just him doing all the music but what happened was when they started they were there was dancers who wanted to perform to his music Uh and they'd heard him i think it was like a like an outdoor rave and he was performing and keith flint and um leroy just said here do you want dancers when you're playing live he was like of course that would be amazing so they turned into this who doesn't different want dancers? course your own dancers <laughs> your own dancers designed for you <laughs> got my own dancers there. <laughs> oh what do they look like what are the good looking dolls um no um, no it's a guy called there was a female <laughs> dancer at the start though right of a female dancer but what happens then is the band starts to develop into more like a rock band there's yeah. different people on stage and that's sort of filled out with maxim who is the mc mm-hmm. and it's on this album that everything really starts to unfold and take shape and the band becomes the the, the recording band yeah which is howlett and a few other extra guest musicians and stuff and then the live band which is these four guys yeah and so flint obviously our, our dear keith keith flint is he's just like leroy he's a dancer and yeah, for, like he, the, it isn't the Keith Flint we know now, where he was singing songs and yeah. Because I mean, realistically, the 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 most iconic, lasting memory of Keith Flint is the Firestarter period. Yeah, that's, and, that, and that's, that's that's a that, different Keith Flint than the Keith Flint that yes, absolutely, different in, one especially leader, this yeah. generation. He's went he went through quite a few transformations over nearly almost with each album. Yeah, there was a different uh, sort of variation of him. Um, the there isn't actually any uh, singers. There's Singer, no actual no. singers as such. There's no. Um, it's a lot of samples used. As you it's a lot about. of samples. Yeah, and which is what was kind of the, the sort of the mode at the time. That's what you would have got a lot of. Course. of uh, like um, some of the biggest, maybe catchiest hooks that are on "Dance Change River" are from old songs. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, but this was something different too because. The sounds they were coming out with, and the, and it might have been just the timing of it with the technology, but some of the sounds they were kind of quite fucking, mm-hmm. quite mental. Uh, actual sonic of you know yeah. sounds on yeah. that. I don't mean a type of music. I mean the actual sounds they were able to recreate, and that's Howlett, obviously on the. That's Howlett. Yeah. That's him just uh, experimenting with loads of different samples, tweaking things, and changing the bass and changing this that. But y- you got to sort of give him credit in that it would have been real easy to keep going the way they were going. Yeah. Um. Because it was still a popular genre, jungle and stuff was massive at this time as well. And jungle, jungle, jungle. I mean, acid house was on its way down. Acid house, I forgot about that. But that was their start. It was all acid mm. house and that type of thing because they were all at raves and fucking the shaman and all them boys, like all these mm-hmm. type of fucking lunatics. But that was that was the attitude at the time, and they could have easily just went along. I mean, the, the first album experience was, I think it went, it got in the top ten. They sold yeah. quite a few albums, like yeah, they have, and then obviously this took them to next level. I mean, we, what year? We're talking the year this is 94. 94, and then you have they started ninety, experienced ninety two, and this is ninety four. And so you've got they're in the prime of the dance scene mm-hmm. as such. 
um, it's really really hitting uh, it's hitting the mainstream charts it's been about obviously for on in the underground scene for a long time mm-hmm. um, hear me as if I fucking you know no but I, I, I know exactly I know exactly music. I'm not either I, I've no like there's so many boys I know personally who could literally walk me and you through the history of it from the 60s right oh, up until geez, today yeah, yeah, yeah. and name every album from every year that yeah. is the number and but fucking tell you what fucking drum machine was used yep, to record yep. it and who what yeah. sample was used from which which different LP and yeah. which version of it and, and fair play to them and that's great because that's their vibe but yeah. Howlett as a, a a master of this sort of arena he even himself got sick of rave culture and got sick of the Euro trash and I think that's sound. where I sort of but that's what me and you were frustrated with. Yeah, that's where I came along to them in later life. I didn't have any prodigy in my life until post-18. Mm. So I missed all that sort of when it was out. And I even missed, uh, not missed, but I mean the Firestarter thing, was, you know, that, that sort of swung me around a bit. Because again, I'm a guitar fan, so I was hearing proper riffs and stuff. <laughs> but it's only when you go back then and listen to this, and again try and give yeah. it some context at the time, and go, oh, what was that? Well, my, my story with it is very simple i i ignored it uh-huh. ignored it completely what i'd heard was um uh, no good start to dance and i went all right that just sounds dancey that just sounds like yeah like any other normal yeah. i didn't really give it much credit i remember seeing the video and i was like that's a, that's intriguing mm-hmm. but i walked away and it was the next year after this album came out 95 that they headlined one of the smaller tents in glastonbury right and it showed it on BBC. It wasn't BBC Two. It was the first Glastonbury's were showed in Channel Four, and I was watching it in Channel Four. Right. Fuck it. Remember, used to be adverts yeah, in the middle. Right. Yeah. And Keith Flint comes rolling out in a big, massive, uh, the boy in the big, an inflatable ball job, and he comes rolling out onto the stage. But when he rolls over to the side, there's a boy standing there with a guitar, and I was like, "What the fuck's the boy doing standing there with a guitar?" Mm-hmm. So then they started playing these songs, man, and there was proper chunky riffs. Proper riffs. Like, fuck song, I mean, we'll play. Um, I mean, the start of their law is a good example because yep. what a fucking stomper of an intro, definitely. Um, and again, I just, it just the sound as well, just mm-hmm. banging, like mm-hmm. proper what pumping. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Is that there? <laughs> Smoking the bandits. Smoky. But it's it's so fucking foreboding, like. It's you're just like, you're like what's coming? It's dark, like I. It's, <laughs> it's so ominous, building up, and you're going, "What the fuck?" It gets heavier. Yeah. But it's still okay. But that's, and that's genuinely that's when I first went. All right, how the fuck am I? I I need to, I need to get back. I need to go back here. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, that that guitar just oh, it's fucking wild. Yeah. and that's um, remember the band Pop Lead itself. Oh, the lead singer's Clint Mansell. He's now he, he did the Moon soundtrack, and he's like an Oscar nominated right. composer. Right, right. He they were on uh, the Nine Inch Nails label in America, uh-huh. and they went and toured with Nine Inch Nails. And I always seen their name going. These boys must be heavy, and they've, they've they're they've good albums like Mighty stuff, but they they played on that song with them. 
right. and play that whole thing. And they do a live version of that that's longer and it's fucking great okay. too. But there's nothing better than hearing Prodigy do that live with a live guitar player yeah. and now a live drummer. Yes. Well, that's the thing. So I did have the pleasure then of actually seeing them eventually mm. in 2000 and something at Oxygen. Yes. And uh, yeah. I, I mean, show, I, like? it is a show. Oh, was that the one where Oasis? No, no, no. It was later on. It was like, uh, must have been 2007, maybe 2006, okay. 2007. But uh, yeah, I mean, fucking the place, obviously, they, they attracted quite a crowd for a festival. Um, and, and I can't remember who they were competing against, but I was never as glad that I went to see. Yeah. I mean, uh, as you say, I didn't realize until I was done watching them going, fuck, mm-hmm. this is, that drummer is fucking, mm-hmm. dude, it was top class. Like. But the best thing the, they do is the drummer is just accentuating what's already, what's already there. there. Yeah, yeah. So Liam Howlett hitting the fucking, the beats, mm-hmm. is, is the drummer's just playing along to that. Ah, he's just, yeah, he's, he's just playing like, it's, not like, it's not like he's creating that noise. <laughs> no, I, and he's not creating the time. And he's not creating the time. It's already, there's a nice wee metronome going already there for him because it's a song. He's, he's just played. jamming. Yeah. That, how fucking good would that oh, be? Oh, what fucking hell. But yeah, I mean, so then you've got this here and then 94, then you've, you're surrounded by the Britpop. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the story, Morning Glory? Or sorry, definitely maybe. It just come out. Yeah. Um, the Blur thing was was peaking with the park life and so so this is in the middle of it so what a year yeah if you talk about albums there's three british albums mm-hmm. that were fucking absolute mm-hmm. stompers like and but the, they didn't change anything this changed something yeah you know what i mean they, they, yeah, they, they were great in yeah. that canon of you know there's lots of work that popular, led up to them yeah 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 but everything seemed was, to start again mm-hmm. when this album came out i that this is the thing you get a lot of maybe future influences from oasis or from um, blur or whatever. Yeah, people decided to write songs. Yeah, but these ones actually changed the way yeah, songs were Yeah, people written. started to be musicians because yeah. of this album and yeah. figuring out how, how did he do that? Well, how many people are playing the song? <laughs> it's a sample from what? What yeah. the fuck's going on? So, but their main influence for this album, and I was meant to say this on our previous podcast, was Raising Against Machine. Right. They said that they were in Los Angeles uh, during the, the turn for the first album uh-huh. and they heard Raising Against Machine for the first time. And now Howlett went, right, that's it. That's yeah. where I'm going. And you can clearly hear it. Well, even there, just by from their law, you yep. can hear something. Because uh, that's what it's like. It's as anonymous as a rage yeah. tune. Like, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you're talking, um, how many what, what, many tracks are we talking in total, did we say? There was I think it's 12. 12 or something. Um, it's 13. So you, it's 13. 13 so yeah. Well, intro is not a track. It's no, just well, a, it's so, just that, yeah. so it's 12, you're right. So you're starting that, and then you're going into... I mean, it, it it progresses. I don't want to say progresses because that makes it sound like a journey. It's not a journey. It's just... Well, he, Liam Howland himself has said, or he said in 94 that he wanted it to be a concept album, but then he changed his mind because it limits you musically. Yeah. And it means he'll have to stick to that concept every time he plays it live. Mm-hmm. The only thing, uh, we'll get to the later tracks, but there's three tracks then that are called the Narcotic Suite, and the three tracks are meant to uh, invoke the feelings of certain drugs. Right, okay. Now, the album itself was meant to be called Music for Joyriders. <laughs> <laughs> and their new record company went, nah, nah, maybe not. Maybe something else. Mm. So uh, they changed it to Music for the Jilted Generation. But then the front cover was supposed to be, you ever see the picture on the inlay of the guy giving the finger to the cops? Yes. Like cutting down uh-huh. the bridge uh-huh. while they're all having a, That's a complete uh, illustration based on the criminal justice bill. Right, okay. Which is what their law is about. 
So basically, okay. 1994 or late 93, early 94, the Criminal Justice Act was uh, put put into play, mm-hmm. and what that basically meant was it killed outdoor raves. Yes. So people weren't allowed to congregate in these massive. Basically, there was noise pollution. There were people taking excessive amount of drugs. A lot of drugs. They couldn't police it in any way, and the government freaked. And when it came down to um, the one vote from the opposition party that would have debunked the bill, uh-huh. it was Tony Blair that stood aside. Of course. And let it go ahead. Uh, so basically, it killed illegal raves, it k- killed outdoor raves, it killed all of that notion. Uh-huh. But it didn't kill drinking at football matches. It didn't kill, you know. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Lager lights. Of course. Yeah. So obviously, people were aggrieved by this. And rightly so. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it wouldn't happen today. Uh, stopping mass gatherings or putting laws against, you know. No, no, no. It wouldn't happen. But you have Definitely. got uh, the opportunity then, they had to go sort of mainstream. Well, because they were underground, there were a lot of those illegal raves happening yeah. at the time. And I mean, anybody listening that's, that's a bit younger, you have to understand the 90s. Um, the biggest fear, the biggest thing the media pushed, and the thing that scared every parent and all the rest was ecstasy. Ease, man. Ease. Ease are good. Ebenezer good. <laughs> Ebenezer good. Um, ease was a big thing, and ecstasy was the biggest fear any parent could have. Their child yep. was going to die on ecstasy. The sensationalism of... Oh, fucking hell. Again, thankfully, that doesn't happen now where the media are, are more no, calm. Yeah. But back in the 90s, folks, I know you wouldn't believe it, but they made things up. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. MDMA was going to kill the entire youth Molly's, population. Molly's were going to eat up every mm-hmm. Wayne's brain. Mm-hmm. Every Wayne in Sutton and Exeter and all these places <laughs> was dying in their bedroom at 7 o'clock on a Friday night because they took an E-tablet before they went to the house party. <laughs> And uh, every parent believed that. Every single parent. Yeah. Yet I was going to certain parks in the town and boys were like, out of our knees, lad. And you're like, all right. <laughs> they were fine. Oh, yeah. Jo- Happiest boys I've ever seen in my life. Jaws swinging like a Jamaican yeah. hammock. Easy, <laughs> <laughs> boy. Easy. Uh, and Easy. With this, you, can't, you can't not talk about this music and not talk about the drug scene. Because no. one didn't cause the other, but they both go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, it, it was already a massive... We're talking about 1984. Yeah, so you're, you're Man- Manchester, as they call it. I mean, all that sort of uh, late 80s, acid early 90s. And that's the, the factory and, and It's called Acid House. Acid, yeah, that's what Just, it gives it away, doesn't it? You don't have to dip any deeper <laughs> than the name. Um, but the album then, so you go back to... And, and I mean, after, you know, you've 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 started off, you're, you're heading into their law, and uh, things get... Things get a bit... I mean, it's, it's difficult a lot of way to describe it. Well, here was my, like, even going through it again uh, this week, um, I was sort of doing it while I was doing other things, but I only realized that when you get to the heat, the energy, it's the first time in the whole album that it takes a breather, and that's seven songs in. <laughs> <laughs> and these aren't short songs, this is a no, long it's a, album. It's a, it's a long fucking album, yeah. So you, um, you're I, about... I'd say you're about 15, uh, well, 30, 35, 40 minutes in before you get a break. Yeah, and like you've already knew, you've got, I mean, some of those tunes, like I think it was their law, maybe it's, it's like six and a half minutes or something. I know, six, six minutes, 40. You know, they're, they're, they're proper, proper tunes, like yep. lengthwise. Which Liam Howlett has stated uh, in recent years, they did a reissue of it, more songs for the Jilted Generation. Right. 
Oh, they have a um. Th- he stated that there's a few songs on there he could have cut way way back, but just out of ego and inexperience, he let them roll on. <laughs> what I heard there was weed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ego and inexperience. No, yeah, weed. that would be yeah, weed. Uh, break and enter. Um, yeah, intro. I mean, it's uh, after the intro, you which we heard at the start. Mm-hmm. There. Um, we sort of skipped a wee order, but don't worry about it. We'll be alright. Now this is the first. This is the song they came out to in Glastonbury. Yeah. This is the start. <laughs> now they're like, all right. So again, the the aficionados amongst you will know everything about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the sense of like the technical things, like a guitar person will know the guitar pedals, mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. they'll know the drum machines, they'll know the fucking the mm-hmm. loops, the stations, and all the rest is being used. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, the actual the name the Prodigy comes from a Moog machine called the Moog Prodigy, they, and they were like, "We need to pick a name quick," and he was just reading the front of the machine <laughs> he had in front of him. Prodigy, the Prodigy, uh, and so then I mean, but I mean, there's another example that that's eight and a half minutes long. That's that yeah, you know so. And every song, that's the thing about this album, is every song can, can you can maybe have three different songs within one. Oh, yeah. And it feels that way. There's something Sometimes it's like, yeah, it's like, that's why you have to go and check again. It's like, only, mm-hmm. 12, only 12 songs. It sounds like fucking yeah. 17. Uh, but, I mean, it's the, the sort of impact that it had. This didn't have the impact, obviously, of the future of the next album. Mm-hmm. But this still had a big impact. I think this inspired... Didn't have the mainstream, I should say, maybe. No. Not so much, but the dance scene... This really inspired a lot more um, of the more influential electronic artists that came out of the... I think Fat of the Land inspired a lot more sort of maybe charlatans, the Skrillexes mm. in the like of the world that yeah. just make fucking noise. Yeah. But, but not like, turn that noise down. <laughs> noise. Like it's proper balls. <laughs> it's I don't get it at all. Yeah. Fucking retarded. They just want to show off that they can use a machine. Yeah. Without actually being creative. <laughs> What's that? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, and you have so many things to this happening uh, at that time. Even locally, if you think of Rural Tyrone. Yeah, 94. You know, you've got uh, the arena. In yes. And everybody getting on buses to go to the RMR to the arena. Mm-hmm. What was the album? Was there another place? Area 51? Was that a. Well, there was stuff. And was obviously <laughs> somewhere else, but there was a, a rave somewhere. I can't. I never went to them. I no, I never went to them. No, but because I was, I had long hair then, and I was right. into fucking stuff that I would give a kicking on the bus. <laughs> give that grunger a kicking on the bus. Uh, but half of them, like my cousins and all, <laughs> I, I know <laughs> like everybody that, yeah. he knew. Uh, but I, there was a big divergence. Like oh, there was big, a lot of people that big division. Like you were sitting chatting them in the morning on the bus, and then the Friday night you were in the Grange Park, and everyone would be standoff across the place. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, just Marty. We were we were brought up in the the Dodge City, so we had the fucking anti drug thing. Don't be on that fucking bus, boys. <laughs> There's drugs on us. <laughs> Did you all get left up in a van on your own? Who? Uh, uh, <laughs> we didn't go. A Republican boy. We were we were the white line picket protest at front. <laughs> Uh, you just imagine like the big boss and all the dolls getting out of all the sequins on the ne- like neon ever and then you uh, five of you boys druggies fall out. out of a bus druggies out <laughs> carrying a bottle of fast druggies out you're all druggy 
There's some moving your glass. Oh, oh, I felt it was great. <laughs> Everybody, Stephen. Are you drunk? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, that's uh, we've talked about it before. Divide, divide, divide. If you if you can divide, uh, you'll it'll, it'll happen anywhere. It'll happen with football. It'll happen mm-hmm. with music. It'll mm-hmm. happen with films. Whatever. Uh, even the best of best podcasts. Would you believe some people certain ones they won't like? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, and they won't listen to it, even though they might learn something. Nah, probably not unuseful. Not unuseful. What's this? Probably a fair enough description. That's a decent assessment. <laughs> uh, so the, I mean, we we have break and enter. Yeah. Um, well, if you go it goes to the, we've already covered their law. Full throttle is a good song, but you get to another single in Voodoo People, mm. and Voodoo People um, was another of the ones that sort of solidified solidified my my already. Well, it was curious. Definitely piqued my interest when I heard <laughs> I watched them live and went, Hold on. Now that was the year later, so I'd missed quite a bit. Yeah. And um I mean only uh what was what's that? Mm-hmm. I voodoo people I did not make the link until Oh, this link? Yeah. Until about, you know, twenty five months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember it being <laughs> Never mentioned. Never fucking realized. It's just it's one of those things. When, just they, when they did the reissue, um, there's a remix version of uh, Voodoo People that has a longer intro and it sounds more like the sample that's used. Now, I will have to say, this is not a sample. It's somebody else playing it in the studio for the Prodigy, but it's based off this riff and it's given the credit that it's based off this riff. See, I, I never knew it, but I knew... Bit of a, uh, a a wee bit of a childish Gambino moment there, you know. Mm-hmm. I just didn't make the link. Just uh, weakest link and all that sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Voodoo, Voodoo People has this as their sort of, uh, as, as the intro, this is a sample thing they've taken from it. Yep, so that's the mighty Nirvana with uh, Very Ape of the In Utero album. And so then you can hear then how they actually um, made it sound then on their own thing. Yeah. So again, I mean, the combination and the sort of, well, what they call now the mashup, if you want to call that. But I yeah, mean, it's but a, it's, a, it's a grip. And, and like, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I listened to both them albums in a short period of time between each other and never made the link until never. 2006. Never until uh, 2020. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, like, it's, it's it's distinct and it stands out straight away in you, but it's... it's. I think it's just one of those ones where I went, do I, do, have I heard that before? But it's another one of them moves that yeah. he, they could have done that and yeah. never admitted that they, they've used that Absolutely, as a reference yeah. and nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. And, I, and I, I've, I've listened to, I haven't listened to In Utero by Nirvana in quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. Maybe it might have sprung something again, but uh, no, did not know that at all. No. Uh, and again, this sort of, back to the sort of, uh, in regards to Howlett, was it more of a nod to Cobain or? More of a nod to rock music rock in, in general. general. He was he, he, he was going off the the train of thought of the electronic rave techno like i said once he started hearing this euro shit that me and you were getting frustrated with at school mm. that was giving us the impression that that's what dance music was when it yeah that was, it, it wasn't was fucking oh, so repetitive and so on yeah like all oh, that like there's so many songs that people listen to now and they go oh i remember this back in the day and i'm going that is still gives me heart attacks man yeah. it's awful oh my god 
But then this, it's a total game changer for me personally. It's an absolute, complete shift in direction for what I was listening to from then. And yeah. because of this type of album, also there's a, there's an interesting story about the the Chemical Brothers did a remix. I think it was of this song of Voodoo People, and it was. And on the B side, there was a remix, uh, but they were originally called the Dust Brothers. That's right, yeah. Now to give another link back to our another episode on the Fight they Club, we're Fight talking Club, about yeah. the Dust Brothers who did the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Dust Brothers, when it was released in America, the Dust Brothers made sure that they changed their name, and they right. changed their name to the Chemical Brothers. Right. Okay. And the Chemical Brothers were born out of that, and mm-hmm. they released their album year after this. So it's that type mm. of thing. Where, and that's the Chemical Brothers, you know, Basement Jacks, all those type of boys. Yeah. Those type of bands are the good bands that came out of the Prodigy's change. Yeah, they were the more, I don't want to say it that they were the more creative, but they were the more musically yes. talented. You could tell them boys knew how to play piano. like. And that's not to say that somebody, you could fucking, some the hardcore dance fans would go mad. That's not <laughs> to say that, you know, somebody on a computer is not talented. Yeah, I I think if all you're going for is like a hundred and eighty beats per minute, yeah, then I'm pretty sure the guy that's put a fucking four hundred samples into one song and made it sound cohesive is, has a wee bit more maybe just going a bit on, more, yeah. And so I mean, we, and we haven't even got to. I mean, after that we have uh, <coughs> well, when you end voodoo people, we go for speedway, which is the theme from Fastlane, but it's a it, it's it's a dancey one where. I sort of skip by it because the heat, the energy is the one that's after, and it's yeah. the one I really like because it slows. It has about twenty different fucking variations, and that's the thing you couldn't play a part. Of, no, because no. it does. It doesn't describe the song at all. The no. first minute and a half doesn't yeah. sound like the middle bit, no. and then the end. That's what I said about there's certain tracks that make you think that's four or five songs in one. Yeah, um, and I mean after that you have poison, which is well, it, it's it's what we started the intro with, but it's the um. The, the 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 problem with do you want to play the intro as well just just to be here that we quote because I remember I remember this when I was younger listening to it I think this this is, is the intro of the entire album and it's uh, let me see um but we've got um when you go into poison there you go my work back underground to stop it falling into the wrong hands. Like, that's the intro to the whole album. <laughs> it's so fucking menacing. So, it's this. That quote's from Lawnmower Man. But right. again, they did it themselves. Didn't take a direct sample from oh, Lawnmower Man. Take the exact so, I don't know if we get around having to pay for it doing it that way. or It's probably cheaper. Because it's not... You're paying for the... You're probably paying for the um, the rights to the song. Yeah. But not the performer rights. Right, so when it comes from the audio of a film, it's the same sort of law, then? Same sort of law, but uh, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, well, Poison, Poison's next on the track. I just wanted to play that intro because it just sounds so strange. Um, Poison's the first time that somebody other than a sample sings on a Prodigy song. And it's Maxim Reality singing uh, the, 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 the song Poison itself, all the lyrics in it. And that came from... There's a thing with Liam... It's the first live vocal in their own music. And this is Liam's quote. Poison was a turning point for us, freestyling over the music. When we did that, we thought, why the fuck haven't we done this before? <laughs> <laughs> so it took it took to very, uh, near the tail end of re- the recording process before they went, maybe somebody should sing over one of these songs. Because <laughs> it was just so foreign to them to do it. 
And I don't know if we have a clip of that or not. I don't know if that's... We played Poison already, did we? No. We just played the intro. Let me see if we can get it on here. So, they... The whole idea of this song is everyone was, like I was saying, everything was 180 beats per minute. Everybody was speeding everything up. And they were trying to put, like, mean beats in it and, like, mean samples, but it didn't really work at that speed. Yeah. So, his idea was to do it really slow and put all these menacing samples together, but not with a drum and bass drum, but with a slower. Yeah. And you can hear it, you? Which works. Absolutely. And again, the sound. Yeah, it's fucking, that song in particular. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of like what we talked about with Rage, and we've talked, we've talked about it with a few people before. It just becomes then. Prodigy sound, yeah. There's no other. Uh, that's that becomes unique, becomes synonymous with them, yep. and that's what makes them stand out. That's mm-hmm. what makes them the best. Hey, yeah. hey. Uh, but that's what it is. It's something that makes you, you know, that 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 stands above the rest, mm-hmm. um, in all elements. Yeah. So it's like the, the production, mm-hmm. the writing, the producing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the live performance and then the live performance has to be in there as well which they have to go down in history is probably one of the best consistently best live bands definitely my, uh, my top 10 of, of live bands I've ever seen now yeah and we, I'm not I, even that big of a fan of the prodigy in that sense but they were absolutely the show they put on was just unbelievable well, let me tell you about me seeing them oh no wait to hear this oh here we go now this is well after this because I don't know make sure I get the popcorn out here now this is we, we were we were 13 when this came out like, oh Jesus 14 before I got to hear it properly, and then Firestarter and all came out in 96, seven, was it? Seven, I think it was. <coughs> so the Fat of Lamb was out, and they were on full fire. Oh, like, they were. They were world turn. Firestarter was, took, them, took them global. It was like massive, yeah. like, yeah. and then Breeze and the like mm-hmm. came out and smacked my bitch up and all that, and it was it's fucking, they were everywhere. So, 97, they played in the King's Hall, and we went up on the bus. Oh, 16. Oh, jeez. Me and the heap of boys. It was the first time I ever seen boys white in <laughs> on the way up <laughs> to the gig. <laughs> so we get into we get in, man, and I'm just all over the show because all I've been to at the age of sixteen was I'd been to two metal concerts and then just a few things locally, but I'd never seen a big show like this. Right, yeah. So I land in, I'm expecting the usual few headers, like like <laughs> boys at the bar, and then the odd you look after yourself now, stay in the corner, don't fucking right, no that type of. All I got was the minute that bus door opened, everybody <laughs> scattered. <laughs> I didn't meet one more person I knew. I ended up for the entirety of the night hanging about with these boys from Newton Arts. <laughs> one of them had uh, like a tattoo of a dragon on his neck that led up to the back of his ear. But they were sound like oh, the all time oh, one of, the all time they would all leave, you stay there and then they'd all come back and they'd be in finer form again. <laughs> So the prodigy start the whole time that we're in there. There's like a DJ playing. He's the build up, uh-huh. and he's right in front of us, big mad red curtain. He's got about six foot in front of him, like he's right. nothing. Um, and then the prodigy start, and the whole place goes boxy oh, for an hour and a half. That's crazy. Just I mean, nobody let up, and I was just like, "What the fuck? Where where's this been my whole life, man? This is <laughs> unbelievable." I don't remember the journey home. I don't remember getting into my bed. <laughs> I don't remember anything. I just remember being at home going. What the fuck was that? Three days later, still staring. And I, and I'd seen footage of them live, but it, the, the the strange thing about 
Have you ever watched like a a, a concert or a festival appearance by a rock or metal band? It mm. shows the crowd a lot. Mm-hmm. It shows them all freaking out because people have banging or people bumping into each other. But at Prodigy gigs, they never really showed the crowd. Mm. And it's only then that I realized why, because they were wild. <laughs> they were just losing the plot. <laughs> and the, yeah, the chemicals flowing through. Everybody was in, the everybody was in great form. Like, mm-hmm. there wasn't, I, it wasn't, there, nobody was seen, <laughs> but they were, all, they were just, it was such a fucking experience. But and and that, Was that your first concert, you say? No, first concert in like a bigger, I'd been like in the limelight and stuff. I'd right, seen yeah. Entombed in Neurosis and I'd seen the Deftones, but I hadn't seen anybody like in a big, on a big stage, full production, right, yeah, you know, yeah. the full lights, the full. It must have been my same, must have been the same. No, 96 was my first uh, well, I had I had seen Ray Charles when I was twelve. Where was that? I was a fucking no. I, that was my first concert. Ray Charles, your first concert. Ray Charles, Jesus first concert. Christ! Where the fuck did he go after that? I don't know. Uh, I was in America when he was playing. I was overseeing family. Uh, I was only twelve, but my first big concert was Fuji's. And where was that over in, here? In uh, the Point. Yeah. Oh, um, maybe. And uh, me, Danny Conley, and uh, Mark McCausland, one of our Definitely. previous guests, went down to Fuji's. And uh, what year was that? 96 so big Eddie Hanley big shit Eddie uh, drove us down being the good chaperone dad that he was of course took us down that three of us yahoos went into the concert and believe it or not you wouldn't think of it now the hate fucker but McCausland was taken away from us what taken away from us boys now by authorities or yeah by oh. authorities so uh, we because me and Danny were obviously quite tall yeah. And Mark wasn't. So we shuffled on down the front and it was grand, right? And obviously kinda like the Prodigy concerts, the the stewards must have known what was coming with the Fujis and how fucking mental it was gonna be. So next thing Mark got a tap on his shoulder to say, Come you and me for his safety, they were taking him out of the sort oh, of right. mosh oh, pit. Right, thing. Okay. They could see from far up, oh shit, look at all that hate for that guy, he's gonna get squashed. Now Common sense. That was our first concert by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Following rules, didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Fucking, he's just been taken away. Now, <laughs> normal people would go with him. Yes. Nah. You stayed? <laughs> we stayed. <laughs> and watched, like, we were like third or fourth in the front row. Um, for McCausland, sorry, Mark, I know you're listening. Um, would have been, yeah, he, I don't know. I've never asked him, actually. I should have asked him at the podcast. No, did they just take him over to somewhere just safe? Somewhere or back, or yeah, wasn't just, just mental? Or? Towards the back, yeah, for to be able to see. Um, so, uh, he would have... Uh, Got in trouble at the Prodigy concert in King's Hall. <laughs> he would have got in big trouble. <laughs> now, luckily, I've been nine foot since I was about 12. <laughs> so I get away with everything. Aye. But you're tall, you're all right at the concerts, especially. But I, I think the boys could see in my face. I'd just seen boys white in for the first time. <laughs> Everybody I know disappeared from me. And I was just sort of roaming about, looking at the roofs of the King Hall and all going, I remember I was here and I was away. <laughs> these boys just went, Look at this laugh motherfucker here. <laughs> get him over here and get him sorted. Boys fucking chowing the jaws themselves. Oh, they were happy people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, but the Prodigy then, you didn't get to see them in the King's Hall again after that. No, I think it they were in the King's Hall the year King's before, thing, that yeah. year, and then I think it went to Arenas from yeah, then on. Yeah, Arenas from then on. So it went massive, and then it went Which global. suited, because, to be fair, um, their sound suits a bigger sound system. It does, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and they have great light shows and they have a great live show and they've, it just grew and grew and snowballed and got bigger and bigger. And yeah. their most recent stuff before Flint passed away mm-hmm. is as good. Yeah. It's really, how, really well, intense. I mean, as you said to start, Howlett is the prodigy. Yeah, yeah. So, Howlett, you know, you're not going to lose that skill because that's what it is. He's got a skill of being able to create mm-hmm. sounds leading ultimately to songs. 
Um, one of the biggest ones then maybe of the album in regards to order of the track. Um, the it became the most famous one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's uh, No Good Started Down. It, it came out before the album came out. So it, it had like a video, single, was it? it had the whole... It was a single, yeah. Because this is the thing too, and, and we talked earlier on about the full package. Videos, we keep forgetting about that because in this day and age, we don't mm-hmm. they were... They I mean, were, if you think of Prodigy or Firestarter and Breathe in 97, even, but even, even in the, the earlier the ones. Poison video the Poison video was fucking incredible. incredible. Remember them all in, like, it looked like they're in a fucking pit full of snakes right. and mm-hmm. wires and Liam um, Hyde playing the drums and smack my the lights up. are going flat to the mat. Ah, that was Jonas Acker, I remember. I could band everywhere. <laughs> band everywhere. It was, it was fucking amazing. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was good. Really good. Uh, so you've got, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a listen because this was, again, showing the sort of highlight in the, uh, of their skill of sampling. This then became to me now. I I I heard this sample mm-hmm. somewhere along the line in some nineties dance tune, um, but I never actually realised it was a prodigy until maybe say ten twelve years ago. Okay, when I actually listened to this album, I went, oh jeez, that's fucking mm-hmm. it's oxide neutrino. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oxide neutrino. It's not oxide. Dum 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 dum. Uh, no, this actually came. So it, I mean, this is uh, back to. There's a massive link between disco music and dance music, of course. Um, lots of stuff out there, but I'm not going to it. But um, sort of freestyle house. This was called, uh, put under. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Kelly Charles. So it's you're no good for me. But obviously, the the, the, the prodigy took it, give it the full. Mm-hmm. Wamped her up. Give, wamp, it, wamp, give her wamp, the wamp. Alvin Chipmunks fucking <laughs> high speed dubbing. Um, but this is it. Here we see. You're no good for me. I don't need nobody. Don't need no one. That's no good for me. You're no good for me. I don't need nobody. Don't need no one. That's no good for me. So yeah, they took that and then fucking amped it up. Amped it up to wild speed. Uh, and played it then in the middle of uh, No Good, Start the Dance. Mm-hmm. Which kind of helped them in that way, because it was so cheesy in that sense, and catchy, and almost pop. Yeah. That it was, they not that they needed to break in the mainstream, but it was a nice wee step in for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely was. Because obviously Firestarter was going to do what they needed to do in the end of, mm-hmm. but this was a nice wee break in, because it, I don't know how it charted, but I know I remember hearing it. I think, it, I think it, was, it was high up there. Like, yeah, yeah. But it was everywhere. And that's where, like, when I went back and then seen the video for Poison, though, I was going, this, ah. I completely underestimated this album. But this album was filled with underestimations because it's in between all these songs. There's, like, like the song, The Heat and Energy, like I said, it's the first time it ever stops and you go, oh. <laughs> we breathe there. But it, it intensifies. <laughs> and uh, especially Speedway as well and Full Throttle. These are songs that aren't singles, but they're crackers in the middle of this album. Mm, like, yeah. And they're very dancey, but... Because of what you've just heard, you're hearing it with different ears and you're seeing it in, in a different light. And it's 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 the last three songs. Well, before the last three songs, like I said, was called The Narcotic Suite, there's the song One Love. Right, yeah. And you remember that? Mm. For, do you remember where you remember it from? No. Because I distinctly remember One Love from the <laughs> Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina Jolie film, Hackers. Oh, Hackers. Remember Jeez, Hackers? What a show. That's right. What was they going were, on there? They, they were going out with each other, weren't they? They were. I think they got married. That was because they had to get married. I think they did get married. How did Angelina's fucking... That's right, I forgot about Johnny Miller. All over the place. So Johnny Miller was sick boy and train spotting. Uh-huh. Hackers, that's right. It was a massive Hackers. flop, wasn't it? 
I'm, I'm pretty sure, but I, I think I've watched it about a hundred times. Because every time it's on, you go, what is he this? They're all about hacking and all, and the internet's a person. <laughs> fuck's going on there? But the music is non-stop, this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Voodoo people's on it. But I remember One Love because it appears in a scene where they play nearly the whole song. And I was always like, why? But One Love wasn't meant to be on this album. Right, okay. Um, It was out as a single. Liam it Hyland, had been out before, had it? It had been out before, oh. before even No Good Start to Dance. Oh, right, okay. It was meant to be like, Howlett described it in a way that made sense. He was like, this is what I wanted to bridge the gap between experience and music for the generation so people could understand mm-hmm. that this is the way we're going. Yeah. But he said it wasn't advanced enough to be on Jilted. But the record company, obviously, because it made about a 10, they mm. went, stick it in there somewhere. Go on, put it on there. But because of the length of CDs, they had to edit the song down. So in the album, it's called One Love Edit. Mm-hmm. But now, these days, Howlett says he could have done with just it not being there at all. Because <laughs> it doesn't really fit. And I sort of know where he's coming from. But, you know, every other single they had out previous went on to an album. Yeah. It like, was, yeah, it was going on. Like <clears throat> Charlie and all that. Remember Charlie? <laughs> Charlie says. Charlie says. All that stuff was on it. So, or on experience. So they had they sort of f- fell in the same vein and put it on the. But later, later albums had singles that didn't appear in an album. And I wonder then, I mean, because even for them, I mean, you're talking, you know, 94, so they're not really getting into digital, proper digital. No, no. You know, no. Di- downloading and things like that. You know, they're not into that yet. I mean, what could he have done? With? He, you know, imagine what he could do today. Oh, fuck. You know, he's nonstop. What really? he has done there in '94 with what he had in front of him was mm-hmm. no like. I mean, the DJs today don't realize what they can do of ripping oh, samples f- and taking things and uploading and loading yeah, them, yeah. ten downloading and all that wasn't possible. This was all. Do you remember all the, manual? Like, the first time uh, somebody told you you could burn your CD onto your computer <laughs> and the plot blown. being lost. Absolutely mind blown. And there was no email for us to send it to anyone, so you could just burn it then. <laughs> uh, we were making mix CDs by the truckload. Oh, Jesus. Sir. I, I, I remember being around Hunters Park to get spools of CDs. Remember that? That's right. The boys, a uh, few old lads. We had a wee factory. Mm. A wee factory. Mm. Uh, a wee factory. What was it called? Rexel? Rexel. Rexel. Used to make out. Don't go through the employee records of Rexel. No, we'll not mention it. It's long shut down. Nobody buys these. We'll not mention those. I was going to say, it's long shut down before CDs. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't know why, but uh, mainly because uh, half the fucking time supplied in fucking DVDs. Yep. I think I'd give them a fiver <laughs> for like 400 CDs. <laughs> Blank CDs, man. There was boys using them as side plates. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck it out, check them out on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, you, uh, you can't really describe it today. Thankfully, there are our generation are, are lucky in that the sense that we've crossed two bridges. We've come from the, 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 the earlier stage of knowing what it's like to have a wired phone. Yeah, and, and, and a, you can and also. A, and a turn a uh, circular dial tone yeah. phone. But we also know how the internet works. So and, that's and we can appreciate it that we wee bit more yeah. because you're like, boys, you don't even know. You, don't you imagine really, you boys trying yeah. to tape off the radio? Yeah. But then if you speak to anybody older and you go, you don't really know, they go, I know. Aye. <laughs> they haven't the fucking clue. What's that? <laughs> Are laser discs still a thing? No, man. Cookies? No cookies, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the last three songs that are called the Narcotic Suite. And this is what they're described as. This is this is by Howlett himself. So Three Kilos is the first song. Mm-hmm. I pictured a load of laid back people lying around the smoky room. And it is pretty trippy, like... But it's got a good good sample on it. 
Skyline had an uplifting rush feel to it, and Claustrophobic Sting was a paranoid Depths of Hell track, probably <laughs> the most foreboding music I've ever written. Jesus. So, even if they didn't name it the Narcotic Suite, you would have got the impression from the last three songs that somebody wrote these on these three experiences, <laughs> personally. <laughs> somebody was, yeah, maybe, or maybe I might have watched from afar. Yeah. We do hear this, but this is a good story. The, these three songs include live flute parts. You can hear them clear as a bell through the hole. Mm-hmm. And they're played by Phil Bent. And, uh, originally, Liam Howell asked uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull to play right. his part, or play the parts, or to give permission to use samples from Jethro Tull, flute, flute samples. Fuck, right? Tull, no, so, man. according to Anderson, the letter from Howlett's record company was sent to him. It got stuck in his office, and when he found it, the album was already out. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, I'm a bar, Jethro Tull, man, we love weed, no? <laughs> and then, <laughs> it, it was too late. Too late. Too Fuck late. sick. Uh, yeah, so we finished off the album, you've got the last three, I mean, you're talking about them there. The the, the That's uh, Three Kilos, Skyline, and Claustrophobic Sting. Yeah. So they're they're meant to be one experience. Those three songs are one experience together. Yeah. On, a, on an album that you've already went through, <laughs> a wealth of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> fucking went through it all. And the... The, the intensity of, you know, most heavy metal albums and a dance album and a jungle album and a drum yeah. and bass album. And, and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? A lot of stuff going on out there. And, uh, I mean, it's, you, you've got, I mean, you could talk, I mean, of, of where this is placed in 90s mm-hmm. influence. You know, you're talking big albums of the 90s. You're talking Nevermind. Yep. What's the story? Morning Glory, probably Park Life. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of that period, of yeah. Of that period, you know, this mm-hmm. is up there. Like, this mm-hmm. is. Like, oh, definitely. It's easy Absolutely. in the top 10, anyway, um, mm-hmm. worldwide. As if, you know, there's not much. 90s was a poor. wasn't great for music in the sense. Well, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't as terrible as the 80s, but it was. Uh, well, I'll go one step further. Eighties wasn't terrible, Connor. You fucking lying bastard. So, um, <laughs> all I can remember eighties is perms and fucking synthesizers. That's all I can. Yeah, hear. yeah. That's, <laughs> what's wrong? I don't. Know, what's your, where's the criticism? He's so disgusted. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, but yeah, nineties. I mean, so it, I'm not gonna say it was easy to shine in the nineties, but it was. No, but there was really a lot of alternative music that was really, really. Oh yeah, that might, I mean, was yeah. pushing forward. Yeah. Well, sorry, I'm only talking about the mainstream. Sorry. No, no, no. I, mean, no, no, thinking, I yeah, know where you're coming from. I know exactly where you're coming from. But every major album that came out that is considered a, a classic was influenced by something from the underground, being an alternative rock band or yeah, from an underground electronic outfit like these boys. And they've always done that for years. They've always mm-hmm. stolen from the underground and taken that. You think of underground hip? Like how many hip hop albums in the late '90s became fucking billion sellers? Because the music from 92 to 96 was mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. And they just stole from that. That's it, just resampled, yeah. And that's what, so, I mean, well, you know where the prodigy ended up, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even as recently, as the last few months, Howler put up a picture on Instagram saying I'm still making prodigy music. Yeah. And so, that's, what, that's very sad. I mean, what happened, Keith Flint passed away. A last, year this? A year this? A year this month. Is it this month? Mm-hmm. Jesus, dear. I did mm-hmm. not know that. Uh, yeah, so, I mean... We know, obviously, passed away and all this, but, I mean, he, he, he seemed to be, from all reports, because the thing is, the only thing that stick with Keith Lind is the fucking eyes and the manic <coughs> stage presence. Yeah. And then you had the fire starter fucking hair and then the makeup and all that sort of stuff, but uh, by all accounts, he seemed to be a genuinely good guy. Yeah, that's that's the overbearing. There isn't a story out there about him being no, a dickhead really, in yeah. any way. But you wouldn't 
think that of him. No, no, no. And you I think he'd have that, a bit of an but, attitude. and But that's maybe... What would you call it? I mean, that, that what's his way of was, keeping people away? I think it's maybe away, but it was, it was almost avant-garde in that sense. It was like another character he had, mm-hmm. like he, he had this character of this, you know, fucking yeah. insane, mm-hmm. absolute psycho because he looked the part, sang like it, not sang like it, but you know, chanted like it at well, times. There, there's loads of good Keith Flint stories, but they've all got a positive tense to them. Personally, I remember my mate Sean Kelly telling me that he read in an interview that Keith Flint drank whiskey and milk. That was his drink. <laughs> Oh, and they were like why and he goes because when you order it nobody's that big on buying it again so I don't have to bother people about buying me a drink <laughs> so I just go off on my own and have a wee wee world of my own and then there's an hour me and um, me and a few boys were coming back from watching football and we were at Heathrow and he came walking past and somebody pointed him out and I said alright Keith how's it going he goes nice to meet you man and he walked on and that was it. And I was going, how oh, times has he right. said that between the airplane? And uh-huh. he's just, just genuinely just stopped normal, to yeah. say a little bit. But you know, I didn't want an autograph or I didn't want anything. Because I don't want to bother people. Him, I just said, all right, Keith. Touch his balls or anything. So there's another story where he, but why would I touch his balls? It was an 80s. It was loud then. It wasn't nice. loud. It wasn't nice. Oh, Connor. Oh, not no. again. Have we unleashed it again? Ah, uh, fuck. Another case. <sighs> not me. He touched my balls here, I know. Not me also. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, so Keith Flint Keith Flint <laughs> bought uh, they're, they're from Essex He bought a pub A country pub That's right I remember Close that, to his yeah. right And he used to have a swear <laughs> jar But it was called um, The fire starter jar And he would People had to put money in it Whenever He used to light the fire So then when he started A fire starter joke He had to put money in the jar uh, And he says He used to have thousands of pounds And he'd give it all to charity Because boys would come in Just to see Keith Flint's And Keith would be there Behind the bar like uh. And he would be sticking turf in the fire, sticking turf in the fire, and they would go, oh, fire starter there." Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and he'd go, "Tanner in the jar, in the jar every time." So every story is good. There was also one I remember from years ago where a boy was talking about before he passed away, like, mm-hmm. and a boy was talking about he was in his mum and dad were in holiday somewhere in Spain, <laughs> and they sent him back a picture of the mum with Keith Flint, like arm in arm, like he's pro- and he was on his own, like he went in holiday on his own. And he just met this old couple and sat with them. And had made them, paid for the drinks, paid for everything. But they were like, no, no, let us pay. And he was like, no, no, I'm loaded. I'm a musician. Don't worry about it. And he would just be sound as a pound. Like, and his mass as he was the loveliest boy I've ever met. <laughs> but he totally put us off by how he looked. And I think that's just what he intended. He wanted, yeah. I'm a fucking genius too. But yeah. if anybody was willing to get past that, yeah, absolutely, he would sit yeah. and have another wee and, you know, that type of way. And buy your pints too. You missed that one. Buy a pint. I know. The price of fucking pints that he threw. Fucking right, boy. No, you must have fucking Give me an old whiskey and milk there, Keith. And he'd be like, you're my boy. And I'd be like, sure, we always knew that, Keith. Sammy skimmed out the fuck, you <laughs> <can't."> <laughs> <laughs> I used to like you. That's UHT because it's pish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so listen, as always, we want you to go and uh, follow up on what we talk about. So get a chance, go and listen to the album, uh, Prodigy, mm-hmm. Music for the Jilted Generation. Uh, we hopefully will be back next week with something... I would think we're in film mode, maybe, but again, these don't have any time, so it doesn't really matter. No, 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 we can. Uh, we realise that people just pick out a subject they like and uh, listen to some things and don't give a fuck about other things. Yep. But they miss some really nuggets of really because every episode, Top nuggets, every episode, Keezy touching has, balls, episode, Keezy announcing his way and that he's gay. <laughs> um, there the, seems the, there to be are always a, nuggets there somewhere. <laughs> big golden juicy nuggets. <laughs> you just can't touch them. Stop touching them. 